podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi folks, just before we listen to the latest episode of The King in AI with Sir Kenny Dalglish, just a quick note that this podcast was recorded prior to Liverpool's 3-0 loss to Watford on Saturday evening. We hope that won't take away the enjoyment of the show too much. Kenny was on fine form as ever. Uh, there are some subjects, obviously, that were discussed that won't make as much sense now that uh, Liverpool have lost that uh, first Premier League game of the season. We're sure it's just a blip and the Reds will come bouncing back in no time. But uh, I hope you'll enjoy the show just the same. Anyway. Hello and welcome to the King and AI podcast. My name's Kelly Cates and you'll be listening to my dad, uh, Kenny Dalglish, on this podcast and getting his thoughts on football issues about Liverpool, but also about other things as well. And the reason the podcast has come about is because of our family's charity, the Marina Dalglish Appeal, which was set up to raise money to help cancer patients and their families. So if you'd like to support that, that would be fantastic. As much as it's about raising awareness, it is also about the financial support, if possible. If you want to donate, you can go to anfieldindex.com slash MDA, or you can go to the Marina Dalglish Appeal website to find out a little bit more about the charity and the work that they do. It's worth having a read about. It's a really great charity and it's something that's very close to all our hearts. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to another episode of the King and AI podcast here on Anfield Index Pro. Now, at the time of recording, Liverpool are sitting 22 points ahead of Manchester City in the Premier League with the season-defining matches on the horizon against Chelsea in the FA Cup and Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. Now, as regular listeners to the show will all be too aware, the King and AI podcast tends to feature a trio. But with Paul Dalglish still in the midst of a busy pre-season with his preparations over in Miami, we can only offer a duo today. And as a young lad who grew up watching Rushy the ultimate double act with him. It's my particular pleasure to once again welcome to you is Liverpool's legendary former player and manager, Sir Kenny Dalglish. Good evening, Edward. How are you, sir? Very well. Missing my sidekick, but there you go. (laughs) He's certainly a busy boy, isn't he? And uh, one of the reasons Paul has been so busy is that he's taken on the role of president and chairman at the Miami FC. And uh, as he jokingly put on a BBC article this week, uh, the first thing he did was sack himself as head coach. Now, all of the trophies that he's won as head coach there, I think he's I think it would be a nicer way to say moved upstairs, but uh, we'll let him put. Come out with the jokes, uh, but as disappointed as it us for for us, Kenny, not to have Paul on the podcast with us, it must make you and the family very proud for, uh, with how successful Paul has been in carving out such an impressive career over in the US. Yeah, but went over there. He's won uh, he won a couple of MLS trophies with Houston Dynamo. Uh, I think the greatest trophy he got was his wife. He met her when she's Houston. <laughs> he married her. He's got twins. A boy and a girl now, so uh, then he went into the coaching side of it, did very well at the, the youth level with the kids and then developed his way up through and won, he's won, I think, three national titles at lower levels. Um, but he's, he's really uh, he's really into the coaching and he's reads up and plenty of things. All the Italian coaches who, who have got books out and that obviously are translated. He's read that. He's watched videos of things, and he's he was really absorbed with it. But um, the owner came and said, asked if he would uh, set up Miami FC uh, as a football club from the academy from the kids, 
all the way through. And I know they're, they're not as big as Beckham's team, but they're going to be more community based. So he started. He started that and uh, had to go. They got bought a franchise for the the league below the MLS from Ottawa Fury. Moved it to Miami, obviously. Um, so they've stepped up uh, in class and they, they, they went out and bought a few players and they're just getting prepared to, to kick off the season. So he's, he said uh, he's been working a bit hard to be, man. So uh, obviously, unfortunately, he's not got, he's not got the time to devote to this because he, if he gives you a time, He's liable to get a phone call. He'd <laughs> come in as some business, but I think he's a president. But he's not like Trump. He's uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's he'll concentrate just on the football. I think we call him Trump. We call him Trump now, anyway. Oh, do they really? Is that his new name? <laughs> well, right. we'll have to remember that one when he's next on the show. <laughs> now, before we start talking Liverpool, it's important to reiterate what uh, Kelly Kate said at the top of the show there, and that's to remind all the listeners that the key objective of this podcast is to raise awareness and help with funds for the Marina Dalglish appeal. Thanks to all our listeners who have made donations so far, and we would encourage you to continue supporting the appeal however you can. It's very easy to do. Just head on over to anfieldindex.com forward slash MDA and pledge whatever you can even if it's just a small amount using the monthly donation option now i'm sure as the winter uh, turns to spring the charity will have lots planned and uh, the best thing you can do is keep abreast of everything that's going on and to do that i'd encourage you to head to twitter that's where uh, the charity are most active and follow at m dalglish appeal that's a twitter handle m dalglish appeal and you can see everything that's coming up there they'll once the weather gets a bit kinder, the charity can obviously get out and about and do a lot more. So we'll hopefully have a lot more to uh, to see there and talk about in future shows. Now, one of the thing listeners may have noticed in the past few days is that we at Anfield Index have announced an event where profits will be donated to the Marina Dalglish Appeal. It's an end of season party. It'll take place in Liverpool at the Paisley Gates Bar from 1pm until late on Sunday the 17th of May which coincides it's the final day of the Premier League season where Liverpool will be playing away at Newcastle. We'll have Steve McMahon uh, Kenny's neighbour uh, from Southport he'll be there and he'll be coming to join the fun and uh, the match will be shown on multiple TVs and following that we'll have some live music on the stage with Ben Burke from Boss Night plus a raffle and auction to raise as much as we can for the charity and I think Kenny's going to uh, help us out with a couple of items for that as well. So tickets are selling fast and all being well there might just might be a trophy parade in the city the very next day so uh book your ticket for the party night it promises to be a good one anfieldindex.com forward slash party now we were speaking kenny just off air at the start and we were talking about something that you never saw i was quite surprised because you're normally uh normally on the post with all these things uh Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, they sat down on Sky Sports after our win against West Ham and they were talking about the greatest English club debate. Now, straight away, I was surprised that the teams you managed weren't on the list, but then it dawned on me with the scoring system that they came up with, they were given five points for a European Cup. And as we know, the sides you managed never played in Europe, uh, they won the league. So uh, they were they were immediately excluded from the list, which is a, a bit of a pity. But Bob Paisley's Liverpool team of 75 to 78 was done in three-year blocks. They came out on top ahead of Man United's 2006 to 2009. And third equal were United's 98 to 2001 with Liverpool's 81 to 84 under both Paisley and Fagan. So uh, I was all geared up to ask you what you thought of the debate and uh, whether you thought that the 75 to 78 Liverpool was any better better than the 81 to 84 but I think you kind of said to me off air that you you were you were totally aghast at the three-year scoring system so it's all irrelevant well it, it, uh, how do you define best 
you know, most successful. But why why was it restricted to three years? If you look at Bob Paisley's career uh, as a manager, nine years, he won six league trophies. I don't think anybody's going to beat that, are they? So for me, Bob Bob would be the most successful manager. And the stats would tell you that as well. The mathematics would tell you six out of nine is better than anybody else has done. So uh, it's no surprise that one of Bob's team came out right on top of it. And Joe, Joe in his short spell as manager, by his choice, not the clubs, um, was, was hugely successful as well. Three trophies in his first year. Uh, speaks for itself. Um, but as I say, I think the greatest trophy that, that any Liverpool people ever had was, was Bill Shankly because without Bill, none of us in the club would never have been in the, the situation that it's in now. And the one that's been throughout the years that that he came, set it up and everybody carried it on. It had a bit of a slump there for, for a few years, but hopefully they're back on track now. Yeah, and uh, do you, I mean Carragher and Neville were debating the differences between the team of the sort of mid to late seventies and the team of the early eighties. Uh, I mean, you played in both of those sides. Uh, obviously, you weren't there in seventy-seven, but you uh, you were in seventy-eight onwards. Do, did you notice much of a difference between the two sides if you class the late seventies side and the early eighties side? I know we're kind of merging one into the other, but was there much of an evolution in the teams from the early Paisley days that you were there to the to the latter Paisley days and into Joe's time? No, they never had much. Uh, I think the most they would bring in would be two players, maybe, a season. Um, and when, uh, after we won the double, we won 85, 86, and then 87, we never we never won anything. And the, the people upstairs said, we've got some money, do you want to sign any players? And we signed uh, four, four players, Barnsley, Aldo, no, in that order, but uh, Ray Houghton and Peter uh, Beasley. And I think that was the most, since I'd been at Liverpool, that they'd signed in one season because it was so set in its ways and they were so successful that they didn't need a lot of change. I mean, the, the changes came in and they were almost seamless. I think uh, the first season, big, big, big jockey signed from Partick Thistle in the April. I signed from Celtic in uh, August. And uh, Graham Soonis signed from Middlesbrough in the January. So that was probably the most. But that was over a space of about nine or ten months, wasn't it? So it wasn't a, um, they, they never, ever went out and um, signed a load of players in any one season. And when you came into the dressing room, it was a really comforting place to be. And it was fantastic dressing room. Um, and I don't think you, you win anything if you don't have a fantastic dressing room. For us, it was easy to, for, for them to welcome one guy in uh, and, and get on with it. And I don't think there was any need for me to go and have three or four signings every year until that year when we didn't want anything in, in the club. Uh, put their hand in a pocket and uh, gave give me some fin- financial support to bring in the people and I think it was a fantastic team that as well really exciting great to watch but they never get the opportunity to play in Europe 
Yeah, which we spoke about on this uh, podcast before. A real, a real sad thing that we never got to see just how well that side would have done. I mean, that was the team that that I very much I was in my early teens when that team were on the go, and I absolutely loved watching that team. It's still, it's still my favourite Liverpool team to this day. I was speaking to Steve McManus obviously about this event a few a few, a few days ago, and uh, he I was saying to him how how much I loved watching that team, and it's it's, it's a shame the European thing kind of denies them their place in history, but we can never deny. The sort of style of football they play, the legends that those guys became as as footballers, and uh, how well they could, you could only win the competitions you're in, can't you? That was the thing. You you you, you, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't have been thinking about Europe because you just couldn't play in it, so it was an irrelevance. No, and you you can't kind of surmise what would what would happen. We may get knocked out in the first round. Who do you know? It doesn't matter. But as I said, we just we just weren't there, so there's no discussion to be had. If you're not there, it's. Uh, if you know there, you can't win it. That's it. So from great players of the past to perhaps great players of the future. Now, I, before you uh, jetted off for a little vacation there, you, I saw you in the in the cold at Shrewsbury. You went to watch the first uh, FA Cup game, but you couldn't make the replay because you were uh, you were on holiday at that point. But how well do you think the youngsters did under under Neil Critchley to uh, to get through that tie? Well, I thought Critchley was fantastic um, because obviously. There'd been no conversation with him beforehand, saying if uh, if we draw, like you can take the team at Anfield and they play. But <laughs> it just Jurgen just mentioned it after the after the match, and it's great credit to everybody involved how well they, they did do. But when when they played Arsenal in uh, Everton in the cup and uh, five each with Arsenal beat them in penalties. And there was a few experienced players came, um, played in that game. Lalana was one who was exceptional and brilliant with the kids, really helpful and, and like an old granddad type of guy, leading them and encouraging them and helping them. And he did the same against Everton as well. The, the kids, when they played in the two big games, get great support for the, the players, the professional players, the first team players that, that played. And then when they played Shrewsbury, there wasn't as many of the first team experienced players about and they did it themselves. And I know Shrewsbury might have been upset with, with what happened and but the team they put out because financially uh, they might have suffered a wee bit. But then if they'd have beaten Liverpool, if they were worried about finance, if they concentrate on beating Liverpool, they'd have been in the next round and playing Chelsea. So so they themselves cost themselves money with no being able to beat the young boys that, uh, that Liverpool put forward that night. But then, what, what, what a story that is to tell your grandkids, isn't it? Or your kids, how you played Liverpool's first team against Arsenal, against, you played against Shrewsbury, FA Cup, Anfield, Everton, Anfield. What, what a great story that is for the kids. They, they can dine out in that for the rest of their lives. Now, one of the... Uh... One of the stories from that cup tie was the first team were obviously away and uh, Melner had stayed back for, uh, for for some treatment and he got involved. He asked Kretsch if he could take place in the uh, training the day before. He was there in the dugout. Now, you've spoke quite highly of uh, James Milner on this show before, but that must be a massive thing for those kids to see a, a top pro like him involved in the setup and keen to be in, keen to be as involved as he could on the sidelines. I think that would only emphasise how important people like Sir James Milner are to the football club. I mean, it's, you don't just be judged 
the, the contribution you make at a football club with what you do in the pitch, although that's the most important thing. It's off the pitch as well. And what he does in that dressing room, I, I've not been witness to it, but I, I think I would be right in assuming that he's a very strong character in there. And they go on and they get, they make sure that they go there and when they're going to play the game, they've gone there properly prepared and properly, properly psyched up for the match. So, no, Millie makes a huge contribution on and off the pitch. And for him, for the youngster to see somebody likes a him in and around and encouraging and helping. And it's great for Critch as well to have him in there. So everybody chips in and makes a contribution. But I think that's also, uh, that also reflects what the football club's all about now. It's not about uh, an individual. It's about loads of people helping individuals. It's about people who are appreciated. It doesn't matter what you do in any walk of life at Liverpool Football Club. The manager sets the tone by appreciating what everybody does. Whether you're playing football or whether you're feeding the footballers or whether you're doing whatever you have to do to help them. He knows how important the people are and he knows how important it is to have good people in and around the football club. And that's what that's what's happened at Liverpool. And I think the way that the kids played was just a reflection on how the football club has been run there and, and where it's where it's come from since Jurgen's gone in there. And next up in the FA Cup, it's going to be Chelsea. It's at Stamford Bridge, obviously. Now, as a manager, we just spoke about it. You, your team didn't play in Europe in that first golden era of your time at Liverpool as manager. And, uh, you, but you did tend to field your strongest team in this competition. Now, I know the FA Cup's uh, changed quite a lot over the years, but what have you made of the rotation? And would you expect to see see that sort of thing again? Or would you expect Jürgen to go a bit stronger in this one? Um, I think... Well, I don't know, but I think there'll, there'll be an opportunity. I think Jurgen will be there. I don't think Critch. I think Critch has got through this round with a sack. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm sure uh, if Jurgen is going to take charge of it, then I'm sure he's totally appreciative of what Critch did uh, whilst he was in charge, um, and I'm sure he'll no go, he'll no go amiss what he did either in Jürgen's eyes but I would have thought that they'd be they'd be relatively strong um, but it'll be interesting to see uh, four victories in the league is all we need to win the title um, and I think it's when you've got the the games coming up the number of games coming up I don't think that's a, that's too big an ask and I, I think the boys are going to bid it in a fit and proper way. They've not won it until they've won it. Uh, and I think that when they go on the pitch, they're, they're, they're totally committed. Uh, there's no difference in their attitude and their commitment in the game now as to what there was at the start of the season. So no, they'll not be carried away with the position that they're in. And when you look at the league table, I mean, I think Tottenham's six, I think, with 40 points. Liverpool have got nearly bar one point double that. <laughs> the numbers are just crazy, aren't they? They're absolutely it's unbelievable! It's unbelievable insane. how far they are in front, points-wise, of other teams. 
So with that in your mind, though, with that in your mind going into the Chelsea game as a player, more so than a manager, if you were Mo Salah, would you be thinking, "I would, I, I really, I'm really thinking about this FA Cup. I'm, I really want to be involved in all of the trophies that we might be able to win because we're so far ahead, ahead in the league." Well, I don't know what the players would think, but I'll tell you, there's only one person who'll make a decision, and that's Jurgen. They, they can, they can say whatever they want and whatever they'd like to do, but he's the one that will decide what they do do. And once he makes a decision, the players are 100% behind him. So whether whether they play or whether it's a mixture, who knows. But uh, as I say, I think there's an opportunity now that you can you can have a, put a strong team in and see where it takes us. Yeah, I'm sure uh, a lot of the fans would be happy with that as well. And uh, as well as the youngsters have done, it is getting a little bit more serious now. So let's see what happens. Now, the first team we're involved in, we, we were in the rare position of actually losing a game. It felt so strange uh, to actually lose a match. And that was the first leg of the Champions League away in Madrid uh, against Atletico. Now, uh, how, how hard is it to play against the uh, Diego Simone team? Uh, I heard Jan Mulby speaking on his show with us this week, and he said he would hate to have to watch a team that played that way week in, week out. What What are your thoughts on that match uh, against Atletico in the in the first leg? No, I mean, nobody says that you've got to be a, an attacking-minded team, is it? You can play football as long as you play within the rules, and if, if their strength is defence, then obviously they've got to play to that. Um it's, they're fantastically well organised and you give them great credit for that. But you'd rather watch our own team than watch Atletico Madrid the way that they play. But you can't, you cannot deny that they are successful and you cannot deny that he is a, he's a, he's a very decent manager. So they come to our place, they beat us 1-0 there. Um, maybe a wee bit, the goal was a wee bit of good fortune and maybe the ball could just as easily bounce to one of our lads for a similar situation in set plays, but never. So maybe we're saving it up for this for 18th of March, is it? Is it the 18th of March? No, I, think, I think it's the 11th. I think it's our 11th. Uh, yeah, 11th, 10th or the 11th. Well, so we'll wait. We'll wait and see what that is. But they, they, there's a lot of ways to, to cut the cake. And by the way, they do it to the best of their ability and I don't think it's a fault uh, to play to your strengths. If that's what the manager thinks he knows best and that's how he knows how to win games, then fine. If he tries to think he's something different, then they're all going to have trouble. So you admire people for, for playing to their strengths rather than to play uh, in a way where really they're, they're not too sure about and not too knowledgeable about. I mean, the fact that they have that 1-0 lead coming into coming into the Anfield game, you would expect that their tactics will be just exactly what you said. They will just absolutely decamp and try and do the thing that they did for the 87 minutes that they did in, in the Wanda. Well, I don't think they can play any other way. But I tell you, you've got to admire the discipline. I know when you get when they get the goal, it gives them a wee bit left in the greater. It gives them encouragement to, to, to stick to what they're doing. And it gives them something in their mind that they can hold on to. They won't go. So, but they're, they're brilliant at what they do. And uh, they've got to come to Anfield 90 minutes. And I think, irrespective of what the score would have been, they'll play, they'll play exactly the same way. They'll get back, they'll defend, uh, and they don't, won't get too much percentage of possession. 
Um, but they're used to that. So great credit to them. You're not going to be. You've got to admire people for for being successful. And when you see the oppositions they've got in Spain, with Barcelona and Real Madrid, then they're they're the poor relations, and they've done tremendously well through the years to continually have a bit of success. Wednesday the 11th of March for the listeners that one 8pm kickoff at Anfield uh, that's a... oh, well, I'll have missed it if I go on the 18th yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll be expecting you on the 11th <laughs> but I'll, I'll know the score <laughs> <laughs> now after the Atletico match it was back to Fortress Anfield and West Ham obviously were the opponents and we, uh, we didn't play them so long ago just a couple of weeks ago at the uh, at the London Stadium that was the rearranged game from uh, our trip to Qatar for the World Club, Ch- Club Champions and uh, I think uh, this is a, a sign of football, isn't it? I mean, you would have remembered this playing in the great sides you did, where you can never underestimate any side. Everyone thought that Liverpool would win the game. Of course, we did win the game, but we have to go about the hard way. And you should always expect that when uh, any professional team that's uh, coming and playing for their survival for in, in the league shows up. And uh, the game did turn out that way. But were you nervous like I was when it went 2-1 to, to West Ham? Or were you always confident the guys would uh, would get right back in it? No, but... I'm not being critical of West Ham, but no, I wasn't. I wasn't unduly worried. Although it took a mistake for the goalkeeper to get his level, um, and the goalkeeper had done well, mostly in the game. But I thought, I thought the game uh, at the the London Stadium was we were we were so much better than them um, that night, and it was it was quite. I mean, it was. It wasn't easy, but it was well deserved the victory at the London Stadium. But when they came here, they they had improved a great deal, uh, and they made it a bit more difficult for us. They were better organised and uh, better drilled. Moisey had been there a wee while, had a few more games, uh, and they just come off the back uh, the game at Man City as well when they came to Anfield. So for them to put in such a good performance after being at uh, Man City just before us was was creditable to them, and as I say, bar the goalkeeping mistake, uh, I don't know whether we would have got the win or no. But the goalie made the mistake and we did one. And I think they probably they probably deserve a draw, probably. But as I say, that's what the boys have done all season. That they, they did it. Sheffield United, the goalkeeper. Slip the two late the late goals at at Villa Park. Um, that honestly they're unbelievable. They're, they're no it's no finished until the whistle blows, and they the players have been unbelievably committed to getting something from a game right up until the final whistle, and it's no coincidence that they've done it that many times before that it's no luck. It's just quality. Yeah, 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 and uh, with defend, the defence seemingly uh, and the attack seemingly picking itself these days, it's a midfield where the eleven seems to vary from time to time uh, with Jurgen and Naby Keita was given the job of replacing Jordan Henderson, but was replaced by Oxlade Chamberlain as soon as West Ham took the lead. And I was interested on to, on Jamie Carragher's views on Sky Sports afterwards. He says Keita is is the man I'm still waiting to really explode and show Liverpool supporters what he is about. After the match, you will get all the stats come through about how many times he regained the ball. How many 
many passes he made to people in the box, all these different stats. And when you look and think you've got a top player, he's always top of those stats. But I watch the game and I don't feel like I see that with my eyes. It was a very interesting observation that from Jamie because it, it does seem to be that Naby Keita is the latest one that the fan base seem to seem to be divided over. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on Naby so far? I mean, he's been so stop-start so, with injury. Yeah, he's, he has been injured. Uh, he gets like games in an injury and then he's got to pick himself up again. But if you look at Fabinho, I don't think anybody would be disappointed with Fabinho this year, would they? Last and it's taken a year to settle down. I mean, it's a big thing coming into play for Liverpool in the pace and the tempo they play it, the demands on you to play that game. So it's a difficult start for you. And although it's really successful in amongst a, a group of fantastic players and unselfish players, it still takes you a bit of getting used to it. The training is probably more uh, exhaustive than what it was with the previous clubs. And the demands on you in training and in the match is maybe greater than what it was before. I mean, and you're not trying to be undermining the teams that they've come from, but we play at a higher tempo with and without the ball than most other teams do. That's why we've been successful. And to get that tempo and get the knowledge what's expected from us, they've got to replicate some in training. So it's a big move coming into the, to Liverpool and coming into an environment that has been successful in setting their ways and you're the one that has to change. They won't change for you. So I, I would, just in the same, <coughs> the same way any new player coming in, it usually takes me about a time to settle. So the wee man, it's a terrible season and at the points we've got this year. What a settling in season that is. Elite <laughs> Championship, Maryland, <laughs> everything else. So, World Club Championship, that was, but it'll take you time to settle, and next year it'll be better for it. Now, one player who knows the environment, obviously, of Liverpool very well is Trent Alexander-Arnold. And uh, last season, Trent set a new Premier League record for assists by a defender. And uh, after the win against West Ham, equaled that record with 11 matches still to go. Now, on our podcast with Jan Bowlby, which we spoke about earlier in the show, Jan posed the question to the listeners. And uh, he was talking about Liverpool's all-time 11s. And he says that almost everyone universally puts Phil Neal at right back in the uh, in in those all-time 11s. Obviously, yourself and Rushy up front. But Phil Neal... Uh, right back uh, and he, he asked Jan asked the listeners whether he thought that uh, Trent was already starting to put pressure on Phil's place in that all-time 11 so I was curious to know what you thought about that yeah I think everybody's under pressure uh, every individual that's in any team it's Liverpool teams under pressure when they're picking their, their favourite team that's from the players that are playing at the moment, because they've been fantastically successful to drop two points so far in the league. It's an unbelievable return. Champions League last year, World Club champions in January, heading towards the league title, still in the FA Cup. This is, by the way, and still in the Champions League. It's not a bad run, is it? So, they players, they players, they don't do it as individuals a day as a team, but within a team there's always individuals who are going to stick out. And there's an awful lot of them in, in this team that sticks out. And it's no just you can't say that you just depend on one person. I mean, you look defensively. How good is how good has Virgil been? How good has Joe Gomez been since he's come back and his return to the game? The back four, as you say, picks itself. 
the front three. Jeez, that's a that's a dream trio for anybody. And if they get past Virgil, who do they come across? <laughs> Alison Becker. By the way, when you, when you get through and you're one on him, one on one with him, you think the goals has been filled in. <laughs> He's a real imposing threat, and psychologically, I think people find it difficult to know how to get it past him. He's been a fantastic signing. Him and Virgil both signed by Philip Coutinho's transfer fee. The two have been fantastic. So it's only right and proper that they're going to get a mention as being in Liverpool's best ever team or whatever they want to term it. But I think it's, I think it's difficult also to uh, cross over into different times. I mean, look, we go, we go way back to Billy Liddell. I never saw Billy Liddell play. How could I say how good he was? But tell you how good the people thought he was. They used to call it Liverpool. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, the Billy Liddell stories, I mean, he's from a little village very close to me and uh, they, they, they have a remote memorial thing in the local park there. And uh, I think uh, he was, I mean, you talk to the old guys for that supported Liverpool and he was absolutely the Steven Gerrard of his time, wasn't he? The, the player that was absolutely idolised by the fans. And I, I think it's, uh, as I say, to cross over different generations is a difficult thing as well to try and judge. I think we should just be great, grateful that we've been here to witness the, the performances these players have put on uh, the last two or three seasons. And the one the one player at the fulcrum of that, a player you signed, injured just now, Jordan Henderson, obviously injured in Madrid. He was still very much part of the dressing room pre- and post-match from West Ham. That came out uh, after the match on some of the videos that the club put out. And obviously you saw him embracing uh, Alison Becker as he left the field for that save, that uh, filled-in goal that you were just talking about yeah. there when West Ham went through. And uh, the comments, there were some comments uh, by Damien Camoli, your old uh, your old chum, in the, when you were back for your second stint as manager. And he was speaking to The Athletic and he said how hard it was for both you and him to convince the owners to go above the 15 million and get the full 16.75 million that Niall Quinn want and Sunderland were asking uh, and he said how impressed you were when you first met Jordan when you first met him for the first time how, how, how impressed you were so how impressed going forward have you been with the player that Jordan's obviously become and, and the captain that he's become as well but you've got to remember Jordan was only 19 when he came to Liverpool and that, that's a by the way for a 19 year old to come Liverpool Football Club is a huge it's a huge move for him Sunderland boy born and bred that's a big Sunderland fan so the, the club at Sunderland was in his heart but he wanted to progress and I thought he was the right one for us um, to take forward uh, but in 19 years of age it's a, it's a big onus to put in anybody's shoulders Um to say he was there to replace anybody, he was there to be himself. And by the way, what he's what he's doing and what he's done is exactly what what you would have taken him for. You go and watch players and you see things that you like and you think he's, he's the best one for us. But the transfers and the money, I I, I don't know about the the Ameri- the the owners being having to be pushed to to spend money because he, when I was there, they were hugely supportive financially. If they've got the money, you could have it for players. The only problem is if you don't have the money, then you, you can't get it. And that's as long as you understand that. Um, 
you don't get in any trouble. But they were always supportive, so I, I didn't know that Damien had to push a wee bit to get the money. I, I didn't know that. But there was other, there was three or four other clubs in for him as well. Um, Steve Bruce was the manager, and uh, Steve's a good guy, and he told us, and, and they were telling us to put the, the price up. He was telling us because it was the truth. So to get Jordan was a was a coup for us, and it it, uh, it might have taken him a wee bit to settle, but at nineteen you would expect that, wouldn't you? He's turned out to be a fantastic captain and a great. I bet he's a hugely popular and influential fella in the dressing room as well, and he's somebody that you can sit down and talk to and discuss, and somebody that's not going to go away and throw the toys at the pram if he's not getting it the way he thinks it should be done. And if he went in and said to Jürgen, I think we could play this, and Jürgen would go, well, I don't, bye. And that's it, finished. <laughs> so, but he's respectful, he's knowledgeable, and wants the same as what everybody that comes to watch Liverpool. He wants the same as him. He wants the victory. He wants the success. So he's, uh, he's, he's been fantastic for Liverpool and obviously getting more noticed since he become captain but if he was your son you'd be hugely proud of him as a person and one of the things he turned his hand to this week and I don't know if you've seen this yet I'll, ha- I'll have to send you the link after if you've not but Jordan and some of the other players did some acting this week the uh, the club had them up on their TV channel doing a, a coconut sort of spoof video and I tell you Andy Robertson, what an actor. That guy has got a whole career of uh, of acting uh, ahead of him. And Jordan didn't do a bad job either. So I don't think you'll have seen it yet, but I'm sure you'll have a good giggle. It's only about five minutes long, but I'll be sure to send you a link when we uh, when we finish recording. But I'm sure it'll be when you have a little chuckle to later. Oh, well. <laughs> we'll look forward to that. Yeah, they were they were very good. I think they uh they put your singing in the uh, in those Scotland World Cup songs or your miming as you've called it before uh, to shame. They were really good. Yeah, don't forget the Liverpool records as well. <laughs> yeah, you didn't mime on those though, did you? You could sort of hear undertones coming through on your voice on those uh, no, ones. I, no, I don't. My microphone was turned off. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, that elusive Premier League title is within touching distance. We don't want to say it's done. That would be uh, that just wouldn't be like us no. as, as Liverpool fans. No, but nobody's been presumptuous. Nobody's been. Nobody's going to change the way that they've uh, they've conducted themselves throughout the whole season. They've got where they are because they've done everything right. So they'll continue to do everything right. Well, many people many people have gone from the superstitions on the pitch though to those off it. Uh, we're even hearing talk about coronaviruses and asteroids hitting Earth as the only thing that can derail us. No, nothing, nothing can derail us. <laughs> well, no derail us, will they? <laughs> well, you're a man that had the superstitions to, that drove you to wear winter jackets in the blistering sun on occasion. So, uh, would you go as far as to say the league's in the bag now? No, I would never. I would never be presumptuous. But what, what else I would say? is pretty obvious. There's nobody, nobody, right, <laughs> in the Premier League would swap their position for ours. And that's the end of story. 
<laughs> no, we're very well put. Now, uh, in, in 1987-88, your side went an incredible 29 matches unbeaten from the start of the season. Ended by Everton in that 30th match. Yeah. And uh, once again, Everton at Goodison will be the 30th match of this season. Obviously, Arsenal in 2003-2000 for the only team to go invincible for a full season. So, uh, should the unbeaten record or bypassing Man City's points record mean anything to Jurgen and the players? Or should it just be about winning that trophy? No, I, I wouldn't comment on what it means uh, to somebody else. For me, the most important thing is winning the league championship, the Premier League. Uh, the second thing is to win as quickly as you possibly can. And the, the, the other thing about going undefeated, and you never get a medal for going undefeated, eh? Exactly. So... For me, the priority is, I'm sure, every single person in that dressing room, and whether it's players or staff or whatever, is just to win the league. And if, if you lose a game in the process, by the way, I don't think there'll be any tears shed. Yeah, I think Andy Robertson and Trent both said something similar this week. So uh, I think the players are, are just wanting that one now. It's obviously been something that they've been massively focused on since last season. So uh, getting over the line is everything. And obviously, let's talk about where, it's mainly fan talk, of course, but where Liverpool could win the league. Obviously, it could be one potentially at Goodison if Liverpool do win all their games uh, between now and then. Obviously, you famously won it on the road at Stamford Bridge with your goal in 85-86. Uh, but is, is winning it in front of the fans at Anfield all the sweeter I mean you've won it a few times in your career but does it really make any difference where you win it or is, is Anfield and, and getting it confirmed at Anfield all the better I think just winning it I mean if you if you can prioritise it I think you would take Anfield to win it but the, the only the problem for me is if you win at Anfield and that victory means that you've won the league you don't get the trophy until the Aston Villa game the Chelsea game do we yeah, I think it's a, it is. It's the last home game of the season, isn't it, where you get it awarded? So, I, I just win it. Just win it and take it for there. I think if you... Uh, it's, everybody, it's dependent on the other team, Man City, no dropping any points. Isn't it? If we need four victories, Man City win every game between now and the end right. of the season. That's right, yeah, that's right. Well... So, as I say, we don't need to worry about anybody. Just keep our own house in order, as we've done all season, in every league game. The preparation, everything else is correct, and we'll be. A, we don't need to have any uh, problems or conversations about. Oh, it'd be great to win it at this stadium or that stadium. By the way, the thing is, it's great to win it, and it doesn't matter where you win it. But once you start prioritising, you're going a wee bit far, I think. <laughs> it's strange, isn't it, to be in the position for fans even to be thinking that way? I mean, well, well, the way the fi- the way the fixtures are, it could be Everton or Man City. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, you're going to you're going to win it, right? You just want to win it. You just want to win it. I, I think it's. I think it's important that that and it's usually comforting to see how the players are going about the games since they've, since they've 
I mean, they've got an unbelievable gap uh, to the second team. And they have not dropped one bit in the, the workload or the determination or their, their uh, ability to go and win games. They have not taken their foot off the pedal in any way, shape or form. And that's hugely commendable. And just finally, uh, we heard Steve Nichol talking recently about uh, his time uh, at Liverpool, obviously a pundit on USTV. Now, one of the things that Steve Nichol was uh, talking about was his pre-match dietary habits. And it's something that we spoke to you about scotch pies and stuff before. And Stevie was telling us all about uh, his ready salted crisps and his obsession for eating those things, which uh, I'm sure nowadays managers would absolutely, uh, absolutely just be be get their players so far from it's unbelievable but ready salted crisps obviously you'll remember those days well but was there uh was there any other strange habits in your dressing rooms uh along alongside steve nickel and his ready salted crisps well his, he, he, that was coming back after the game he never ate them going oh, right. okay <laughs> well i never saw i never saw him eat them going um <laughs> He used to get in the bus afterwards and there was crisps in the bus. And the, he used to, the, the boys, you know, the window steamed up, but wasn't it? The buses never had the air conditioning and uh, what they have nowadays. So they used to have a bag of crisps and the boys used to mark like up in the steamed window. That's one, right? And then two, I think his record was 12. <laughs> oh, good God. Twelve bags of crisps. Uh, yeah, but honestly, God, the dietary requirements weren't they quite what they are now. <laughs> um, so, but as I say, on, on the way down, we used to get, or there was a stage where um, we used to have scotch pies, and like John Barnes had, uh, he had jerk chicken. Charlie, the taxi driver, to bring <laughs> chicken for the trip down, and we Peter Beasley used to always bring chocolate and get chocolate out on the bus on the way down. So it was a uh, different eating habits. I think that's the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of other things have changed as well. Well, that, folks, that draws us to a close to the latest episode of The King and AI. And as ever, please do give us your feedback. The best way is on our Discord community. It's free for all Liverpool fans to join. And you can sign up at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord which is d-i-s-c-o-r-d alternatively do tag us uh, to your feedback on twitter we are respectively at kenneth dalgleish or at eddie gibbs or at anfield index pro now like a bad penny there is another international break on the horizon and whilst we all miss liverpool games when the players go globe trotting the positive for that is that uh it may well mean that Kenny, myself, and hopefully Paul Dalgleish as well can uh, be back for another podcast around that time. And uh, just in closing, that important reminder once again, if you enjoy listening to this show as much as we enjoy recording it for you, then all we ask is that one thing. Please head over and make a donation at anfieldindex.com forward slash MDA and do whatever you can to help the Marina Dalgleish appeal. So a huge thank you once again for his wisdom, wit and insight to the one and only Sir Kenny Dalgleish. Thank you very much, Ed. And, uh... We'll see if the wee man can get off his uh, laptop and get on the conversation on the on the phone again. Yeah, I do miss but, those uh, father son uh, father son counselling sessions. It's uh, it's very strange not to not to hear from him and uh, the two of you to go hammer and tong at each other for a few minutes. No, 
Ed, it's better without him, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, no, no way. I love it. I absolutely love it when uh, you say one thing, he shoots you down. You, he says one thing, you shoot him down. It's, it's absolute gold. <laughs> Uh, he's lacking a bit of respect, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening as ever, everyone. And we'll leave you uh, playing out in the capable hands of uh, Kelly Cates. Goodbye from us. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. There is one more thing that you could do, but it doesn't really require any effort. If you use Amazon, if you go to smile.amazon.co.uk, there's an option to select a charity. If you select the Marina Dalglish appeal, then every time you make a purchase at Amazon, they will make a donation to the charity. All you have to do is use smile.amazon.co.uk as your website to buy things from Amazon. It should, in theory, be quite straightforward. Thanks very much again. Podcast Network.